Welcome, everybody. Welcome to the new business show. I'm your host, Jill Thomas. And we're going to, in this show, we're going to help you learn how to create business more successfully and more easily than you thought possible. And I want to help people create success faster. I believe it is the age of the entrepreneur, and I'm excited to have entrepreneurs on the show talking about ways in which you can manifest what you're looking for more easily than you thought possible. So I am super, super excited to have my guest, Reverend Michael Santini, who's also a doctor. He's a retired aerospace engineer and author of the book, Venus, Don't Go There, Unveiling a Biblical Hell. He's going to talk to us today about how to use your book to share your message, or in his case, your ministry. So welcome, Michael. I'm so excited to have you. Thank you, Jill. Pleasure to be here. One of the first things I want to talk about, because I just thought it was really cool. I went to your website and I looked at what I would say is the best uh, book trailer I've ever seen. So anybody listening, when you find when you go into the link in the description, you're going to see a link to his YouTube mail channel and you're going to see a really good um, book trailer. I've never seen one of these done better. And it was for your book, the Venus book. And I think. It really nails it without a whole lot of words, what the book feels like it's supposed to be about. I have to admit, I didn't read it yet. Not going to lie, <laughs> but it looks really exciting. And I'm excited to have you tell us all about it. So first thing first, let's talk about your book and how you use it as a tool to share your, your ministry message. Well, thank you, Jill. Okay, first, this is the cover of the book in case anybody's I love not it. seen I think it's it great before. Cover. And I usually share my ministry message because, you know, being a minister, I want I try to relate real world events to the Bible because the Bible is kind of a spiritual book. And so being a scientist and having a science background, my writing kind of relates the Bible to the real world of space science and and physics. And so it comes at a different angle. So people maybe will take a greater interest in spiritual matters uh, because of, of its relationship to something they understand like astronomy or gravity or something like that. People understand physical things. They don't understand spiritual things. And so I try to bring those two together in the book. I love that about you because I've heard you speak many times and I've always thought, I've always been impressed by the way you weave you know, very solid science and metaphysical principles together in a way that pretty much anybody can understand. So tell us more about that. It, I get that that's one of your passions. Talk to us a little bit about that. Okay, so some of the things that people believe, and these are Christians, for instance, they they tell us that the, they want to believe that the earth is 10,000 years old or 6,000 years old because God made the heavens and the earth in six days. And what they don't really realize is, is that the earth and, and the universe are billions of years old. It goes all the way back to the Big Bang expansion. We have all sorts of galaxies that are formed during the time. It's 13.8 billion years. The earth is not a, a young earth. And yet there are Christians who try to profess that the earth is very young because of this Genesis story. And what they fail to understand is that the Bible, like words like day can actually mean eon in the Hebrew. They don't really investigate what's behind the Hebrew language to get because it requires bringing together both the spiritual and the physical realm in order to get a comprehensive understanding of what the God is trying to say in the Bible. So I try to to marry together people who are not agreeing about these basic concepts like the age of the universe because of the because the Bible says it's they think the Bible doesn't address that. 
Other things I try to address in my book are the fact that we in physics, in physics, and especially in particle physics, they believe in a higher dimension. They believe that in particle physics, some of the activity the activity they see with some of these particles that kind of move around quickly, they believe because of different effects that there could be higher dimensions because of that. And I write, I make a little comment. I discuss that in my book, how some particle physicists do actually use higher dimensions in some of their calculations. And these higher dimensions are important because in the spiritual realm for things to happen, for instance, for the Jesus to appear and disappear in his resurrected body, like he did after the crucifixion, we, we requires the use of metaphysical higher dimensions or spiritual realms that we cannot see. And those are the same dimensions that are discussed by particle physicists when they try to talk about subatomic particles. So there's there's connections there that that I try to bring out in my book because I want to people understand that by the Bible and science work together. Now the main point of my book, obviously, that Venus don't go there is I point out that the planet Venus, which is our neighboring planet, actually has a lot of characteristics of hell itself. The Bible describes hell as a very, very warm place, hot place. A place filled with sulfur, and you know, if you look at Venus, you examine it. It's a very hot place, 850 degrees Fahrenheit on the surface. It's got a lot of sulfur. Uh, it's got a lot of different. It's got a day and a night because the uh, the Bible describes hell as a day and a night. And I I outline the comparisons between Venus and what the Bible describes as a hellish place. So people get the idea that hell isn't just something that's made up. Uh, you can actually see a manifestation of hell in our own physical universe and our own solar system, or actually our neighbor, our neighboring planet has characteristics very hell-like. And so people need to realize that, that a lot of this Bible stuff isn't just made up, that we can actually look around and see things in the physical world that relate to the Bible. And I try to explain that in my book. So this is kind of the highlights as you would go through my book, you need to understand. So I try to correlate the metaphysical higher dimensions of people do think there's higher dimensions. So I think that the higher dimensions that scientists try to believe in, that, that, that they try to work with, that we speculate exists as Bible believers because some of the miracles of Jesus require higher dimensions because we can't see some of the things we don't understand, some of the things that he does. He walks through crowds. How does he do that if he doesn't maybe go into a higher dimension and then come back into a lower spatial dimension? I mean, there's things in the Bible that indicate that he's not operating in in our three-dimensional physical realm and our one-dimensional time realm. He's beyond those four dimensions and operating in a higher dimension. And so we understand through science that those higher dimensions could exist. So my, the Bible, this book does try to bring together the science, science, and the Bible. And that's why I started my YouTube channel, which I'm just getting underway, that brings together science and biblical topics for people to understand. I haven't really, I look through the entire YouTube, people on YouTube talk and write about everything. It doesn't matter what the topic too. is. <laughs> There's like 10 people who talk about cats. There's 30 people who talk about different topics, vacations. I mean, you know how the, the how the YouTube channels are. They do. If you try to type in science in the, you know, you can type in science channels 
You can type in Bible channels. You cannot type in science and the Bible channels. I mean, it's a, this is a very unique channel that I'm starting. I love that idea because, you know, it's always bothered me about religion and science and how it's it's like they just are mutually exclusive, right? We can't believe that a virgin had a kid and still believe in science, right? It's almost like those things end up being put in their own little compartment. But one of the things that you, it sounds like what you're seeking to do with this book and with your YouTube channel is to show how these things do go together because you as a scientist, but also a, a very spiritual um, Bible Bible follower uh, love to put those things together and use science to sort of bolster your beliefs. Would that be correct? Yeah, because it's it's hard to believe. In today's world, we have a lot of people who have walked away from their faith. They don't really believe in God. Or they don't, if they believe there is a God, he's far away. They don't really understand much about what the Bible has to say about the scriptures or, or Jesus or anything. And so... They rely on science. They rely on what they see and touch. And so when you can bring in science and relate it to biblical, what the Bible says about different topics, you can see that there's a relationship there. And maybe you're not as cold as you think. Uh, there's, you know, there's not a great distance between those two subjects that there's actually maybe a spot where they can actually work together. So people don't really have much faith these days. So if you can relate some scientific facts to some biblical truth, then perhaps you can uh, draw their interest in. That's kind of what my, it's not really a business, it's kind of a business because I did I did write a book. I do have sales. I'm not trying to make any money. Uh, one of the things I think you wanted to, we wanted to talk about earlier was, well, when I had a job, I had a steady income. And when I retired, I went to seminary and didn't really, I learned a lot about what theolog the theological aspects of the Bible. And between my aerospace career and these theological concepts, I, made, I went out then and wrote my book, Venus Don't Go There, but it took quite a while, almost 10 years. But the idea was that I wanted to bring a business together, but I never expected to make any money. It's not that I'm not trying to make money at this. I, I've given away probably more books than I've sold. I have probably a hundred books on my deck that I still want to give away to people who are, who might be interested in and who maybe can't afford it or are curious about my subject. And so I do give books away. If you don't have the money, if you can't afford the price of the paperback or you're don't, don't want to buy the electronic book, which is cheaper, I will send you the book or I'll send it to you at a discount, whatever you want to do. And I I'm open to doing that. I want people to read my book. So I I've, I've got, yeah, so I went to my high school reunion and I gave a bunch of books away to people who, my classmates. So I'll be sending those out. So like if someone from the podcast really wants my book, I've also accepted, you know, a donation of $10 or $15 on paper. Because, you know, for me to for me to buy the book at my own price and send it out, it's almost $20, but I, I'll sell it to people for 10 or whatever. I don't mind taking the loss if people are willing to read my book. That's what's important to me. Uh, is to understand the Bible and the science work together and maybe have a relationship with God as a result of reading the book. And, you know, it's 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 an important, it's a ministry. So my ministry is not to make money. My ministry is to bring people to God and to bring people to faith. That's where I focus. Well, it, 
you know, a business is a disseminating of a message, right? When you own a business, so even if it's just you selling boba tea, you're disseminating something. So in a way, you're creating a business, which is the platform for sharing a message that you you want out there in the world, because the world understands business very well. And there's certainly lots of channels. Uh, there's something you said earlier, I want to go back to, and I love how you said that the idea of having people from this the uh, science world trying to get involved in religion again. I can see how that also goes both ways where people that are very spiritually inclined kind of eschew science. But in your case, you're saying, hey, no, those two things go together and here's where the intersection is. I love how you talked about that in this in the speaker. Talk a little bit about how you feel the religion aspect can benefit from looking at it from a science perspective as well. Oh, well, most certainly, because a lot of times religious people, they, because science is so focused, especially evolution, I think one of the big problems they have is the idea that science is constantly touting how man evolved from a microbe or some particle way back when in the early earth or whatever. And and they don't really, they want to believe in the creation story that God was involved. And so science tries to push away religion and come up with conjure up this evolutionary concept about how man evolved from the muck of the earth. And really, when you really examine that, and we, I, I touch upon it in my book a little bit is, is that there's that evolution has got a lot of problems and you don't really hear about those problems because it's, it's a science that is more of a forensic science. See, science is more like observation, test, make sure the observe, retest, look at the data. And so science, this evolution of science comes from testing. It comes from observing data. It comes from collecting data. But unfortunately, sciences like evolution can't do that. They have to rely on forensic evidence. They have to look at the ground. They have to look at fossil record. And most people don't realize that for every fossil that uh, a paleontologist finds, there are a billion fossils that they did not find. In other words, the loss rate on fossil finding is so great because of the movement of the earth, the plate, the tectonic plates that move around underneath the planet, the volcanic action of the uh, uh, and the earthquakes and all the different types of activity that go on in the lithosphere of the earth. All these different things cause the earth to move around. In other words, uh, 60 million years ago, the United States, our continent was actually not in the same spot it is now. There was actually a movement of the continents. And, and so the earth is a dynamic place. So they don't find, when they find fossils, they find just one of perhaps two or three billion fossils that are that are, that are gone. So they get just a minor data point. And so to try to piece together the evolution of man using these little data points that are so interspersed. Now, the, obviously there were things like hominids around there were things that were human-like, but they weren't really human. And they attempt to try to link this together and put together a story about how man evolved from, from monkeys and from fish and from birds. And, and they try to put this, and it just doesn't make any sense. It, they don't have enough data. And they never admit that. They don't admit that 99.999% of their data is lost. And they're trying to put together a line. They're trying to put together aligned using a bunch of points, but they don't have enough points. To, they can't really connect the dots. And I try to explain that in my book. So evolution is, is not a proven science. And so the religious person 
is, is, is pushed away because science makes such a big emphatic point about trying to show how absolutely true this is. And we know as, as faithful people that that's, we're under, that's very suspicious to us that God really did it that way. We really believe that man was created separately, that he was an image created in the image of God and that he's a special creation. And he's not really evolved from primates. So that because of science's insistent on, a lot of religious people are turned off by science, but what they don't really understand is, is that science hasn't really gotten their arms around evolution and, and perhaps never will. And that there is a lot of commonality between science and religion. So they need to, one of the things, I try to get them past the idea that, 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 that there's, that evolution is a proven concept by scientists. It's really not. And so once the re religious person gets past that, then we can then break down and show the relationships between science and the Bible. That there are more correlations than you think. Uh, and then again, I, I go after the younger, you know, the earth is not 6,000 years old. I try to show them that there's more than enough evidence that the earth is billions of years old, but that doesn't mean man evolved from monkeys. It just says that the earth is really old. Maybe perhaps God took his time. The Bible does talk about God expanded the universe. And that's when, when the Bible does talk about the universe, a lot of the Old Testament prophets will say God stretched out the universe. They use the words, they don't use Big Bang expansion. They use the word stretched out. See, Old Testament prophets don't know science, so they use the words that they had. So like Jeremiah and other prophets talked about the earth, the universe stretching out. Well, what is a stretching out except an expansion of the universe? And so the Bible does speak to these scientific things, but, but religious people are kind of blinded to it because of this evolutionary thing. So to answer your question, yes, I try to get religious people more focused on science matters, but I try to, I have to get them past the evolutionary problem first. I can't, I can't um, say that I agree with you on the evolutionary part, but one thing I will say, I don't disagree with you. I will say because I'm more familiar with the um, the health and wellness field. And I can tell you from my experience in the health and wellness field, that once some scientific principle seems to be quote established, that nobody wants to, to discount it or disprove it, even when there's a pile of evidence that shows that, that this <laughs> thing that we have in our head is complete BS. Nobody wants to go against someone who may have been a mentor. So I can, I, I can agree with you that there, there's probably a lot of pretending that we have all those answers and thinking that it's been a decided fact when it really hasn't been. Oh, one thing I do want to talk about is you wrote this book. I noticed that you did two editions and I want to ask you, you know, what's different in the second edition, but I also want to find out what gave you the idea to write the book. Was it some spark of inspiration or were you just sitting there thinking this information just isn't out here? Tell us about that. Well, thank you. Well, it's a two-part book because actually the original release back in 2014, I had a lot of information in it, but I did not really, I didn't really realize because I, I was a new author. So I didn't really realize what it take, took to write this book. So I put out an early edition because I thought it was complete. And then I realized, no, no, you didn't really talk about every aspect of, of this subject like you wanted to. And so I went back. And I redid the book. I I added a couple chapters. I put in a a bibliography. I put in a an appendix in the back that made it clear where everything was. I put in a glossary so there were there were scientific terms and biblical terms that 
people could understand. So I made the book more understandable. I expanded some of the concepts of higher dimensions. So that, that was why there was two steps, because the first book was basically talking pretty much about the planet Venus, and it wasn't really focusing more so much on the science and the biblical correlations. But I expanded the book to include more of that. And that took an extra five years. And so my 20, well, it actually took longer than that, probably. It came, my book came out in February of 2022. So it took a while to really get those things incorporated. And okay, so you also asked me about my book and what- Wait, wait I'm sorry, I used to have asked them as separate questions. What got you idea? What was the oh. inspiration for writing the book in the first place? Yeah, okay. What got me started was, is because as soon as I got my doctorate degree, I thought, okay, what am I going to do? Okay, so I've got this doctorate degree and I've got this background in aerospace engineering and science. And then I had been bothering me. I had been praying about it, looking at the moon and, you know, the stars at night. And, and I got this unction from the a spiritual unction that have you examined Venus? Have you looked at Venus to see what that's like? And I looked at and I started studying the planet Venus more carefully. I, started, I realized, oh, my gosh, we they would have people, scientists write these articles. And they, they, the top of the article would say something like, you know, Venus is hell, but they didn't mean it literally. They didn't mean it biblically. They just said Venus is hell because it was just a hot, undesirable place. But then I started looking at it and go, wait a minute, this isn't just a, a scientific slur or whatever. This is actually biblical, got biblical basis to it. That's when I realized, wait a minute, there's more to it than that. And when I started examining the intricate workings of the planet, and realizing all the different connections that it has. And in my book, I think I summarized seven different connections uh, that, 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 the, that had one of the ones I didn't mention, I think earlier was, is that the atmosphere of Venus, Venus is very corrosive. It's very caustic. You can't really breathe it because it's got hot sulfur and other hot uh, carbon dioxide. It's got a lot of very, very hot, noxious gases, carbon monoxide. It's very poisonous. And the Bible talks about the smoke of their torment. The smoke goes goes up forever and ever. And, and one of the things on Venus is it's constantly getting volcanic emissions and it's putting out sulfur dioxide. And this, this air, the smoke rises up. If you look at the atmosphere of Venus, it's, it's spinning around. And there's actually a vortex in the North and South Pole where you can see that the that the air is, I mean, in, in, in essence, some of the, it's actually coming out of the ground and it's actually dissipating into the air. So it's almost like a smoke or an, a, a poisonous gas rising. So I got that correlation because of the biblical comment about that, about the smoke smoke of torment rising all the time and so the bible even even phoenix uh, venus even has that feature associated with it and i had other features as well that connect venus to biblical type things so then i, I said well this book this would make a good book I, this would make good sense so i started putting a book together based on on that concept and then i started expanding it and wait a minute i just i want to i want to bring science into this i just don't want to talk about venus and so i started bringing in biblical concepts that were misunderstood. I started bringing in science concepts because you've got the men of science and you've got the men of physics, of men of, of, of religion, and they have their views and these guys have their views and they don't really talk to each other. So I'm trying to get the connection there. I thought this book 
would be good, you know, since I'm broaching Venus as a, since it's in the solar system, I thought, well, I can use that to bring science and the, and the Bible together. So that's been my goal to do that. And this book has been, you know, this book I have out now, it has been, I had, I've had it edited several times. I've spent a lot of my resources getting this to be a good book. Now, granted, it's not, you're not reading a romantic novel when you read this book. You actually have to think a little bit. You have to pause between paragraphs and bring it, like I'm reading Elon Musk's autobiography right now, or, or biography, not autobiography. That it's, out, it's one of the big sellers right now on the New York Times bestsellers list. And I love Elon Musk, but it reads really easy. I mean, I went through probably 100 pages last, it's 600 pages long, but I went through like 100 pages in three hours. You can't do that with my book. You have to go slow. You have to read the book. You know, you have to bring it in slowly. You can't just run through the book. It's not designed that way. And the slower you go and the more you absorb it, the more you learn. I mean, you will learn whether you hate, whether you hate religion or hate science. If you read this book, you will learn something. I always try to tell people the most important thing in life, no matter what you're doing, whether you're in your your business or whatever, what, people want to learn something new every day. And so I like to wake up every morning and at the end of the day, I like to say, I learned something today and I don't want to forget about it. And so, and, and you know, this business that, we're, that I'm doing, this ministry business is to learn. I want you to learn something. That's why I'm willing to give people my book. I, as long as you learn something, you gain something from it. I feel good about that. I love that. Actually, as somebody who's written three books and have my first, I had the same experience you had with uh, your book. My first book, my weight loss book, I wrote this thing and there's two chapters in it. And I'm like, oh, this isn't even true anymore because we have new science, right? So I had to delete a chapter and add a chapter and redo. And I went through the whole process, same thing you did. So I do understand the concept of seven years. It may sound like a long time, but for those of you watching or who have uh, ever written a book, you'll know that it's, it's not really a long time. <laughs> it's not, especially when it comes to book writing and editing. And then, oh, yeah. shoot, there's this spelling mistake. Weather is not spelled correctly because if it's used this way, it's spelled one way. If it's used another way, it's spelled a different way. I totally understand that. And I love the idea of bringing in something uh, that's meaty, making somebody read it and put a little bit of energy into it. Is it Easy Long Must book? Is it good? Is it, should we read that? Yeah, that's good. Now, see, we're, we're writing nonfiction. And so when, when you write nonfiction, you have to be, you have to have uh, footnotes. You have to prove what you're saying. And so our writing is more difficult than a fiction book. When you just write a fiction book, you can just ramble on all you want. But in nonfiction, you got to be careful. And plenty of people do. <laughs> I've read plenty of books like that and went, what? Is this, was this a contest to see who can write the most number of words in one little book? <laughs> yeah, I've read that book too. So is there, you know, you've been at this for a while. I know we've got two versions of your book out in the world. Um, is there anything you would go back, if you go back in time at the beginning of this process, is there anything you wish you could tell your earlier version of Michael Santini that, that you didn't think, that I didn't think to ask you about? Oh, well, uh, I'm glad that you asked that. I think that I was prepared to write this book, but I, I think if I was going to write, do this over again, I think I would have spent a little more time in the sciences because, you know, a, a, an engineer is pretty focused on his projects. And, you know, I worked on space satellites, getting those into space. And I was a little more negligent in the scientific area. So I did a lot of, had a lot of catching up to do, reading about, a lot of books by 
physicists, uh, the the, the uh, Lawrence Krauss and, and different physicists, and different views on evolution, different views on how the universe came to be. I had to really get up to speed. And I, I think one of the things I regret, I think I need to do over again, is I should have spent more time in my career reading some of these scientific books. And I didn't spend as much time as I wanted to. And so I would, you know, I needed to catch up. So I think it's a lesson for everybody, no matter what you're doing, always read, always be trying to expand your knowledge. Don't be satisfied where you're at, because you'll find out that when you try to put something down in writing, you're behind because you weren't reading what's out there. That's one of the, thank you for that. That's a very valuable lesson. That's that really good information. And I think everybody really should pay attention to that. That is very, very good advice, no matter what your career is. So is there any final, final bits of advice you have for anyone who's considering writing a book and using it for their ministry or, or using it for any other, other purpose? Any advice you would have on that? Yeah, I would say this. I would say it's, you know, once you get through the book and, you know, well, writing the book is a lot of work, obviously, yep. and a lot of yep. research you have to do. Make sure you've got your resources lined up. Have your books, your websites, list out what your what your references are in the back. Know where you're where you're coming from. Don't just speak and not have a backup source. You can't just make statements without being able to reference where it came from. So I, I caution people. Oh, one of the biggest cautions I use to people is do not use Wikipedia as a footnote. Go to Wikipedia and go to the bottom of the article and find out where that person got his information from and use that as your footnote. Never use a Wikipedia footnote because you're not referencing the original source. You're, orig you're using a secondary source. And I, I caution people to do that. I had a cousin of mine, he wrote a health book and I read it and he had like a half a dozen or so Wikipedia references. And I sent him a letter. I said, do not do that. Tell your audience where you got your data from. Wikipedia is not a reference source. Oh, but I bet he loved getting that letter from you. <laughs> I bet he loved that. I would agree, but it's a little bit like referencing a, um, an encyclopedia rather than the original source material. I, I totally get that. So how can somebody find you? We are absolutely going to list the link to the socials that you provided, including your YouTube channel, which I think everyone should go to. Uh, even if you don't have a lot of content up yet, at least look at, oh my gosh, at least look at his like book trailer. It's so good. Anyway, where can they find you? Okay. I, I always tell us to people, rather than just list through a bunch of things that where I'm at, I, I have found that if you type Michael and you put middle initial T, Michael T. Santini, if you put that in your Google search engine, you will come up with all my sites. You'll come up with my book. You'll come up with my Twitter site. You'll come up with my Instagram site, my Facebook site, and then go to those sites. And you can contact me in any, I mean, on my Facebook page, on my author's page, you can send me a message. I'll get it. I think I even left my, on my regular Facebook page, I have my uh, regular email account. So you can, you can, you can access me on Twitter. You can send me a message on Twitter X now. Leave me a message there. You can send me a message on Instagram. But I would say you can begin probably by going to my Facebook account, leave a message. If you want to send me an email, Michael Santini at Comcast.net. You can send me a direct email. I'm ready to respond to you if you want to. Again, that's just my name at, at Comcast.net. Or type Michael T. Santini into the Google search engine 
and come up with all my different social networks. Love it. Love it. Love it. So thank you so much for playing, Michael. It's been a lot of fun. This has been a great show. And just to final closing, I want to say it's the age of the entrepreneur. I want you guys to get out there, have fun, creating a business, creating a more financial stability by having your own little side hustle. But again, it really does come down to having fun and doing something that you're passionate about. So goodbye, everyone. And I will see you next time. Bye. Bye-bye.